from a galaxy far, far away. And a bookshelf straight out of the 90s. From Thrawn to Dantooine. And everything in between. This is Legends Look Back. So I was back home in Arkansas last week. Long story. But I went out to visit my grandparents, as uh, I always do when I go back to visit Arkansas. You know, there was that one time I didn't, and then they caught me at Walmart, and that was awkward. So now every time I go back, I visit them. And Back in the 90s, in good 90s style, Legends Look Back style, we had quite the Beanie Babies collection. And I mean, like, hardcore Beanie Babies collection. My mom, my grandma, my Aunt Laura, and I had this conspiracy, like this cohort of Beanie Baby collecting. and uh, I mean, like, we were going to... Freddie, you remember when McDonald's would give away Beanie Babies? Oh, yeah, that was a thing. So it was such a thing that, like, we coordinated. This was, like, pre-text messaging. We had to make real phone calls in order to coordinate this stuff on, like, the real phones with the wire. You know, that you had to stand next to the wall <laughs> while you actually talked on it. And we are like, all right, we're going to get the shamrock bear. You get the little purple bear. And then you get the platypus, and then try to get extras, and then we'll trade. So I went to visit my grandma. Turns out she saved them all. (laughs) What, 25 years later? Still has all of these freaking things. And she was like, next time you come, bring your kids, and they can play with my Beanie Baby. (laughs) And I was like, never change, grandma, never change. Also, this is going on my podcast. And she was like, on your what? Emma, are you too young for Beanie Babies? You know about Beanie Babies? I do know about Beanie Babies because of my grandmother. She had yes, she had a Beanie Baby thing win. too. Yeah, she had a, like a big like wicker basket of them, and uh, yeah, no, I I totally remember those. She was obsessed with them. <laughs> well, I mean, the joke goes, Freddie. Nice hat, by the way, man. That's the coolest hat in the galaxy. Yeah, <laughs> oh man. Oh my I love gosh, it. that really works with our Legends Look Back vibe. Um, you know, I was like, you know, we thought those were going to be so valuable and what a bust, right? And she was like, I'm pretty sure they've come back around. Grandma was like spitting her alternative facts at me <laughs> that some of these Beanie Babies have become valuable. Do you know about this, Freddie? I, I mean, you know, I feel like right now is the collector season for the 90s, especially. I've been seeing a lot of, I mean, look at this hat. This is from Disneyland. That is awesome. Brand new. This is the thing that's going on right now. So that is cool. Um, you know, we're just riding high on that 90s uh, collector's pop culture thing right now. Okay, okay. So so it's it's possible. I'm going to have to do some <laughs> yeah. some good eBay searching. Use those Utini affiliate links on my 90s Beanie Babies. I'd, you know, I, I did not save all of mine. I hate to break it to my grandma. Don't know where they are. Like, they could be... I'm, I'm guessing they're in a... One, like a vacuum-sealed storage bag in a storage unit in Arkansas that I don't have the keys to. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, that's probably where all of mine are, but I will say this much. Uh, it's going to be pretty exciting when I, like, lay all these out on the floor. I'll bring my kids and, like, tell the story of which ones we had to go through the drive through for, like, multiple times. My grandma was like, I ate a lot of Happy Meals for you, boy. <laughs> and I was like, thanks, Grandma. I just really appreciate it. I'm so glad you saved all your Beanie Babies. It's going to make such great material on the podcast. Well, uh, we do talk about Beanie Babies here on Legends Look Back. We also talk about... Other vintage things from the late 90s, early 2000s, such as tonight's book about everybody's favorite purple saber-wielding Jedi. So, citizens, without further ado, let's start the show. 
Welcome, everybody, to Legends Look Back, proudly part of the Utini Podcast Network, a Star Wars books podcast for people who are white, black, brown, or blue, daba dee daba die, <laughs> where we talk about all things legends, celebrating our rich EU history, as well as diving into the lesser-known Star Wars classics. I'm your host, Jared Mays, and I am joined by my, well, wearing the very best hat in the galaxy, my good friend, Freddie C., how are you, Freddie? I'm doing fantastic after that opening. That was one of the best things I have heard in a long time. I have to give it to you. I don't know how you came up with that. That was great. Honestly, I forgot that I put that in the show notes until I started talking. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, we're talking about Beanie Babies. Here we go. <laughs> you know who also did pretty well in that segment on Beanie Babies is our producer filling in for us this month, Emma. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, I was a little thrown by the Beanie Babies talk. Um, <laughs> also surprised that I was able to participate in that, given my age. But again, like, you know, grandmas have a thing for Beanie Babies, and we love them for that. <laughs> yeah, here's the things we talk about on Legends Look Back. Ready? Grandmas. Rad 90s hats. <laughs> Beanie Babies. Pokemon. And that's it. No, no, and also Star Wars. Also Star Wars. In fact, I'm really excited for uh, tonight's discussion on uh, a book that I've slept on, a book that I like read and enjoyed, but for, for me it was kind of B tier. Gotta say, we're gonna have to have a discussion tonight about this one. That is, of course, Matthew Stover's. I would say the one and only Mace Windu centric novel. There's others that have him in there, but I mean, man, this one is a Mace Windu book. And it uh, it was amazing. We had so much fun behind-the-scenes chat, both in the Legends Look Back Discord uh, channel, as well as in the uh, behind-the-scenes in Slack, talking about uh, how much we have enjoyed this book. I'm so excited for us to talk about it. But before we do, Freddie has something exciting that he wants to show off. In fact, I was like, Freddie, just save it. Save it for next week, you know, uh, or two weeks from now. You know, we're just trying to get right, right into the juicy content with our book roundtables now. Save some of the, you know, peripheral kind of uh, segments, and he, and then he was like, actually, you know, John Jackson Miller threw in something special. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's going on the show. That's going tonight. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We got to hear about this. Tell us what you got, Freddie. So I have yet to open it. It's sitting right here. First, let me bring it out. It's it's about, uh, you know, about roughly 10 pounds. <laughs> it's, a, it's a heavy book. A heavy beanie baby, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So John Jackson Miller uh, released a while ago that he was going to be signing a few sets of The Old Republic uh, collection. Here we go. Here's the one that I got. I don't know if you can see that. Good thing so you've been beautiful. working out, Freddie. It looks heavy. <laughs> it's a it's beautiful like a cover. <laughs> it is like a textbook. And he was. He asked me. He's like, "What do you What do you want in the book?" And I was like, "You know what? Uh, surprise me." And he's like, "Legends look back, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." I'm glad he remembered us. You that's know, that's amazing. exciting. Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, I've asked him a few times because I, I was curious. He he said, "You know what? If you haven't read Star or a Star Trek book, read this one." And it, and I asked him about it, so I think he might have just remembered, because uh, it wasn't too long ago. So anyway, I'm opening yeah. the book. I don't know if you can read it. First of all, there it is. Oh, that's gorgeous. Look at that gold. Check this out. So it says, Legends Look <gasps> Back is so wizard. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's May amazing. The force be with you, John Jackson Miller. <laughs> no oh way. Oh, my gosh. I just felt my face change like six shades of color <laughs> as I saw that. Man, that just makes my night. That's oh, so cool. That's there amazing. You go. I'm like legitimately crying, man. That's so cool. That's so, so awesome. Yeah, and and I don't know if you guys saw it. I posted it earlier. Uh, the the actual s slip that he put on the package with my name and his address, etc. 
It said Master Freddy C. And <laughs> I saw oh that. my god! Yeah. So I, I, it's I'm just stunned by this whole thing. I, I, this is the first cool time dude. I opened it. So. Such a cool dude. Live on the stream. That's a good way to uh, <laughs> a good use for our live stream, Freddie. We just do live openings. All right, all right. If we're doing if we're doing showing it off now, mine's not here yet. Mine's not here yet. But what did come in the mail? Well, I was out of town. Um, I was away. My wife was still at home. She just kept texting me like, "You got a lot of packages coming in," <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, "Listen, I didn't order anything. I swear. I think it was pre-orders from months ago." Well, it was, and they're really satisfying. I got three out of the four. Of the 50th anniversary Legends uh, Black oh, Series, nice. and they come in these really cool packages that look like the books. We've here got the uh, this is Drew Struzan art, I believe, of Maul. Uh, it could be Dursima, I could be wrong. Um, really cool side packaging too. But then it opens. You get this, here's some Velcro ASMR for all y'all out there, all y'all weirdos. There it is. <laughs> yep. Um, so I mean, it's so cool. It's almost like its own Legends book. The packaging itself. I'm not an in-package collector, but. Uh, these are really cool collectible pieces. I've got the uh, the Legends Mall from the Dark Horse early Dark Horse series. We got Jackson. So cool. Jackson. I snagged that the, one. I had to. <laughs> n- not Rabbit, right? Yeah. Um, so you got this one, Emma. That's cool. Yeah, he's so buff, like in person. <laughs> yeah, it's really like dissettling if you just unsettling if you just look at it kind of stare yeah. at just how big those muscles are he's like yeah. staring at you Don't in the middle of the night just a little creepy you know really satisfying to get this in after we just did our valence uh character spotlight and jackson comes up in some of those stories and then thirdly now this one i want to have a little discussion about freddie i read this book crimson empire after purchasing uh after pre-ordering this i was like i'm not gonna have a, a collectible that i've never you know, actually read about. So I read all of the Crimson Empire omnibus. This is a misprint. No way. Did you know about this, Freddie? Did you hear this controversy? Oh, yes, I did. It, it's um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the name isn't correct, right? Yeah, yeah. Not to be one of those guys, but uh, <laughs> hey, this says Carnor Jax, who is the villain in that series, not the hero. It's right there on the front too. Yeah, yeah. There it is. Carnor Jax, it so it's got the wrong name. This is actually Kier Canos. Yeah. But then it's got a bio here about Carnor Jax, who would be a great action figure. I would love him, but he's got like a dark, he's got a redder helmet. Um, here we got Carnor Jax with his like scythe blade, which is his characteristic weapon as well. Anyway, I'd like to think this will be more collectible because it's a misprint. What do you think, Freddie? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I remember we talked about that, uh, what, when it first dropped and we were yeah. we were i mean I, I didn't even think twice about it because i hadn't read it in so long but then after thinking about it you're right it's it's a complete misprint though it's the wrong person you know it's one of those things where we said it on the show kind of thinking they'll get that fixed before they print the actual <laughs> figure no now it's too late it already hit the production but maybe this means we'll get more because they're gonna have to write that wrong they're just gonna want to print one figure they surely they'll print a whole new wave right Surely, the only one that I'm missing that has not come in yet is uh, Buff Luke, right? Okay. Sleeveless yeah, Luke yeah. with the blue lightsaber from. In. Yeah, he's a. Uh, you got he's it. Even buff, buffer, buffer <laughs> in person. <laughs> buffer than Jackson, who would win an arm wrestling contest? The heir to the empire, Luke or Jackson? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I want to say Luke because he's got the force on his side, but Jackson is just so buff. I, I don't know if he, I don't know his, if Luke can beat him. His ship is called the Rabbit's Foot, so yeah. he's lucky. Yeah, <laughs> I, all, I think I think uh, Buff Leia from the Power of the Force would would just beat them all. 
Yeah, she is awesome. I do love her. I don't have her, but one day I will. Definitely one of those that I look for every time I go into a comic book store. We'll have to, we'll have to hit up the one in Maine again, Emma, to look Absolutely. for that one. Uh, Monkey Leia. That's what she's affectionately called. Freddie didn't want to call the princess that, but uh, I'll say it. I said it right here on the show. You know what I'm going to say right here on the show? The fact that we are talking about maybe the least liked Jedi in all of Star Wars. You think that's true, Freddie? As we get to talking about Shatterpoint and uh, the titular Mace Windu book, the, the only Mace Windu novel. I'm going to go ahead on a limb and say it. I think so. The only Mace Windu-centric novel. I want to ask, first and foremost, before we get into the episode, before you do the summary and get into spoiler-heavy territory, what was your opinion on Mace Windu prior to reading Shatterpoint. I, it's become popular to hate Mace Windu, yeah. has it not? No, yeah, it has. Uh, and it's I get it, because it, in the Clone Wars, and I'm talking about the, the cartoon and and the uh, the movies, he just comes off as a little arrogant, a little high and mighty, et cetera, et cetera, like the typical th- things that are wrong with Jedi, right? I feel like he encapsulated Yeah, he like it. epitomizes the arrogance of the, she- the, <laughs> of the Jedi. Exactly. So part of me thinks that... My my opinion is a little skewed because my version of Mace Windu is the version in Battlefronts, and oh, interesting, and uh, the Clone Wars cartoon from Gendy. So that's who I see, and I feel like he's a different, more intense, uh, powerful guy. He's just he just I don't even know what the word is. He just exudes intensity. He punches fast. It exudes intensity. That's a perfect description. Yeah. I, I actually think that's probably true for a lot of Legends fans. At least for me, that is my Mace Windu too. Specifically, the Tartakovsky Mace Windu is who I think of first and foremost. I mean, well, you got those lightning fast Charles punches. I mean, what else can you... <laughs> th- th- yeah, that's what I picture every time I think about Mace Windu. However, especially this most recent season of Clone Wars, where he is just like... Super shut down on Ahsoka. Wants no part of it. He's like, you ain't no Jedi anymore. It's citizen. It's pretty. Is, he, is that in season seven, yeah. Emma? Yep, it is. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Like you're not privy to our Jedi battle plans anymore. Right. Um, somebody who definitely prioritizes the letter of the law over the spirit of the law. You know, more interested in following the rules than he is in like you know extending grace to people. Mm-hmm. Um. I get it. I get it. That's this book, however, is a kind of an alternative take on Mace. Think about how. Uh, let me let me get Emma's opinion first before we try to you know make a Mace Windu apology here. <laughs> uh, Emma, you're admittedly more of a, a Filoni Clone Wars fan than either Freddie or I are. Um, what's your opinion on Mace Windu prior to reading Shatterpoint? Yeah, for sure. I definitely see in my mind uh, the Mace Windu from Filoni Clone Wars. Uh, because that's just what I grew up with. Um, and because of that, I always thought that he was like a jerk and not really like that heroic type. I mean, he was a little heroic, I suppose. Um, but I always thought that he was a little bit stuck up um, and not definitely not my favorite Jedi, not even close to it. Um, yeah. So it was very interesting. Like, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like, if I wasn't on this show, I would never have read this right. book. I would have never picked it up. Sure. But you know what? I got to say, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And, you know, I think part of why this book is so good is it doesn't have all that baggage. Right. Um, that Clone Wars show had not been made yet, neither Filoni's nor mm-hmm. Tartakovsky's. Um, it, basically, all that we had, this first came out in 2003, 
all that we had with Mace was, of course, the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. This is even prior Revenge of the Sith, yeah. you know, where he takes on Palpatine and puts the blade to his throat, and, and he's like, he's too dangerous to be kept alive. It's before all of that, right? Uh, before he goes flying out the window to his utter demise or apparent demise, uh, we'll have to talk about if we think he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. We'll get there. Um, the fact of the matter is, at this point, all we basically have are those two movies. And so um, this is... This is certainly Stover taking and, and kind of pioneering what he thinks about the character. And so I think that uh, in, in some ways this book doesn't have all that baggage and is the better for it, at least with Mace Windu's character. And you think about what we have in in those two appearances. You know, if you were to characterize Mace, I, I think I might call him skeptical, introspective, thoughtful, stern, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's like Yoda's... Straight man, right? Obviously, Yoda's not a barrel of laughs in the prequels <laughs> like he is in Empire Strikes Back. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is he, he is buddies with Yoda. And um, I, I liked it in the, in the audiobook, especially as uh, Sullivan Jones would try to do a Yoda impression yeah. through Mace Windu's. So it was like Mace Windu's Yoda impression. Those were like some real standout moments for sure. But um, – the, the fact of the matter is we're talking about this book because it was just recently re-released on June 15th. I think we've even got uh, a cover to show off here. Uh, ju- released on June 15th as part of the first wave of the Essential Legends collection. The book was first released in 2003, as we said, from author Matthew Stover. The main cover, and we're going to compare and contrast these, the main cover was by Jeff, no, by Stephen D. Anderson. This new cover is by Jeff Manning. Uh, Freddie, do you have a preference on either of these two covers? You're a cover art expert on the team. Yeah, and this is where I kind of fell off on a lot of Legends books was during this era. The art wasn't, I don't know, it was just too busy in some time, in some places. I mean, even Outbound Flight just had a different art style than some of the classic uh, Star Wars books, right? You've got the three heads, possibly, and then maybe some ships and some other scenes. Going yeah, on. Drew Struzan did most of the '90s stuff. Yeah, and, you know, obviously it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to top that. Yeah, and there's no way. And and this this new era that of art that came in during this time frame. So like Outbound Flights cover this and this cover, they were just a little different. And for some reason, they didn't attract my attention. But then this new one came out, and this one dropped. Right, uh, we're gonna show in a sec here. That right there is beautiful. I mean, just just the intensity in his face, his beautiful purple lightsaber. I dig it, man. There's something about this cover. If I feel like if this is the one that came out in that time, I would have actually have read it. <laughs> now, here's here's the thing. He has an intense face and a purple lightsaber on the cover of the original, um, the the Anderson cover. Yeah, I have heard the Anderson cover described by some friends of mine as one of their least favorite, um, least favorite Legends covers, and I don't totally know why. Maybe it's just because Depa Balaba has this <laughs> dead stare in the background. You know what it is. <laughs> It just looks way too busy. There's all is there's almost way too much going on, and so your eyes are focused in so many different places instead of where it should be, yeah. which is Mace Windu. That's why I love Maybe the other so. color, the the simplicity of it, the the intensity of it. You see it. That I mean, it, it's your eyes are focused on one thing instead of, you know, who at at a brief glance you don't really know what's going on. You're like, is that eyes? Is that a leaf? What is that thing? <laughs> you yeah. know what I think might <laughs> no, make right. this I... original cover better is if the Star Wars logo wasn't red, but if it was purple. I feel oh, like that yeah. might make it better. I actually like the red and green because it looks like you might get it for Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah true. <laughs> for Life Day. Yeah, Life it could Day, be your yeah. Star Wars holiday special <laughs> gift. Yeah. Um, 
It, I like it because it's. it looks like the jungle. I'll give it that. I'll give it that. It's certainly like, is this book set in the jungle? Hmm, I wonder. <laughs> no, it's like definitely loud and clear with the jungle thing. Um, I, I will say what I like the most about the new cover, the the um, Anderson, no, yeah, the, the Manning cover is the subtlety of the shatter point behind him. So, oh, I didn't notice that until you just said it. <laughs> It actually looks really similar to what is depicted in The Clone Wars, mm-hmm. Season 1, Episode 21, Liberty on Ryloth. Emma actually just made us privy to the fact that there was a Shatterpoint Easter egg in a Clone Wars episode, so way to go, Emma. I love this image here. It's it's certainly a subtle throwback, isn't it? You want to tell us about this, Emma? Yeah, so like in this episode, um, one of the uh, gunships uh, crash lands, and... Um, I guess originally they were going to have Mace Windu uh, cut open the canopy to rescue the pilot uh, with his lightsaber, uh, but instead they had him use the force to uh, uh, see a shatter point where he could break the glass and get the pilot out instead to pay homage to this book. So I thought that was a really cool uh, throwback, and I haven't seen this episode in a really long time, but if I had watched it recently, I'd be like, oh, there's it's the, it's the shatter point. Wow, there it is. <laughs> Yeah, I'm at the rewatch it. It's pretty cool. Um, there were a couple of little Easter eggs with the Shatterpoint. First and foremost, like we said, they're in Clone Wars. Um, and now they're less a throwback to the book as much as they are to the concept. Now, obviously, the Shatterpoint idea is carried over into Stover's Revenge of the Sith novelization. There's there's a lot. He's really drawn heavily on what he set up with the lightsaber forms, Mace Windu, all that good stuff in. Um, in Revenge of the Sith, that novelization, um, I might actually have to go back and reread it back to back because of how much continuity there is between. But Freddie, tell him about the other plug that um, the other time that uh, the Shatter Points are mentioned in Star Wars publishing. So check this out, guys. Uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to try to list out the amount of things. I mean, it's gonna be a pretty intense list, but the amount of things that have made it into canon. Because guess what, Shatter Point is canon. Uh, is it? Is it really? It is. It's canon. It was in Aftermath Empire's End, and I believe that's a, a canon book, right? Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorites. Exactly. So, so in there, Darth Sidious, uh, he he mentions, "I sense chaos, weakness. I sense a shatter point." So, boom, we got a we got a shatter point right there. And apparently, there there's a shuttle that's landing on on Sanctuary Moon, and Darth Sidious just senses someone on board that has a shatter point. And could have a great role in the course of fate. So I, I need to go back and, and take a look at that a little more deeply to see what kind of things we see there. But yeah, there we go. Shatterpoint is canon. Wait, did you just, did you just say you're going to open a, le- a canon book, Freddie? <laughs> all right. <laughs> Don't sound so disappointed, my dude. <laughs> the only reason I'm disappointed is because I have a backlog to get through uh, <laughs> for our rant- round tables. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say I will say this much: there is one more Legends book with a Shatterpoint connection. If you're willing to stay on the Legends side of things, Freddie, and that is a book that I just recently read this year uh, from the Coruscant Knights series by Michael Reeves. Coruscant Knights One actually features the character of Nick Rostu, who is introduced in this book. In fact, in his uh, prologue or epilogue, I don't remember. Um, Reeves thinks. Stover for introducing the character and letting him use it. And so in a in an awkward way, this year I had read about uh, Rostu in Coruscant Nights, which is in the dark times between 3 and 4, and then went back right after that and read about Rostu's introduction in 
Shatterpoint, which is uh, shortly after episode two, between episodes two and three, uh, I, I think I would actually recommend you go in the other order than I did and read Shatterpoint first, <laughs> uh, which actually makes a lot more sense for the character. But, uh, Freddie, that would be a good follow-up if you're looking to get a little bit more Shatterpoint action Ooh. in your life. Yeah, I'm in. Well, without further ado, we are going to get into it. This is spoiler-heavy territory. And so, before we read the summary, this is your chance to get out, all right? Uh, This is definitely one worth picking up. We've got both the new Essential Legends collection. You could go and read the Jungle Christmas cover, uh, you know, the old-school 2003 version. Or, of course, you could pick up the audiobook done by Sullivan Jones, which is absolutely incredibly well produced and i recommend it highly we'll talk about it a little bit more in just a few minutes so a little bit more behind the scenes trivia before we read the summary here of course from our buddy okay indar in the chat um that uh something i left out in fact is that uh freddie i was actually surprised to discover this that the audiobook even obviously the print book both the old school paperback and the re-release has a bonus short story at the end yeah um i was listening to audiobook and I was like how come there's still 14 minutes left in this thing <laughs> the rule in the credits it's over I can hear the John Williams music Freddie did you know that there was a bonus short story at the end you know I had no idea until I saw that there was an extra number I was like wait why how there's no way credits are that long that's that's insane I I, know, I mean I know how how long the credits are for an audiobook but there's no way it has its own it's got two tracks so yeah I took a listen and it it surprised me and I, I really liked it yeah, and, and the book is, uh, the short story is called Equipment, which was also written by Matthew Stover, which is cool because it's one of, what, two short stories he wrote, in addition to, I think, his four Star Wars novels. And this is, of course, an author who is acclaimed as one of the very best to ever commit his talents to writing in the galaxy far, far away. And so it actually kind of retells the whole story of Shatterpoint from a clone trooper's perspective, um, which is super cool and uh, highly recommended. Thank you for plugging that for us there in the chat. So remember, everybody, this is spoiler-heavy territory. Now, it is, of course, spoilers for a 25-year-old book, so, you know, uh, proceed at your own risk. We highly recommend you actually read the book, but also, like, you know, it's 25 years old. We're not, we shouldn't be spoiling it at this point. So the basic idea is this. Mace Windu is dispatched to rescue his former apprentice, Depa Balaba, who has gone rogue on the jungle world of Harun Kal. This separatist-held jungle planet just so happens to be Mace Windu's homeworld. How about that? What a coincidence. He, of course, is a Corrin. No relative, no relation to Corrin Horn. Unfortunately... And his people, the Koronai, are engaged in guerrilla warfare against the Balawai. Are you tracking? There's a lot of technical terms, all right? A, a lot of world building happening in this book. You got the Koronai on the one side, and then the Balawai on the separatist side. Um, they are, of course, not droids. They are separatist-employed mercenaries. Think of them as like colonial invaders because, uh, of course, the the Koronai are the natives, but uh, the jungle world has like this acid, the rain that will destroy droids. So they have to have another wor- another way for the the separatists to be able to fight on Harun Call. So rather than the droids, we've got uh, flesh separatists this time around. They are, of course, the um, the Koronai force sensitive natives led. By the last of the Windus, Mace's long-lost relative, the brutal Car Vaster, the Lord Pelek, uh, Lore Pelek, which means Lord of the Jungle, and of course, the deranged Depa Balaba. They command Ak-Dogs, they ride 
grassers, which I understood to be elephants. Freddie understood them as cows. I think elephants is cooler, so we're going with that. Uh, they, of course, clear the paths through the Koronai, uh, through the jungle for the Koronai. It's a whole thing. There's this ecosystem environment. Stover really gets into it, and he's like, yeah, yeah, they just ride elephants. That's what I got. <laughs> Upon arrival at Pelic Bob, Mace has a naked confrontation in the, yeah, I said naked confrontation, that's right, in the probiotics shower with some of the local militia. They break some noses, bust some faces, and then is captured and taken to Colonel Gepton, leader of the local militia, who interrogates Windu, depowers his lightsaber, what a jerk, commissions him to solve his Jedi problem. Well, upon release, Mace is cornered by mercenaries on swoop bikes, trapped in a dead-end alleyway, then rescued by Nick Rostu, a Coronai, and a team that has come to rescue him. But they rescued him from a situation that they had kind of set him up for in the first place, and Mace immediately learns that the good guys aren't really all that good. They take him to Carbaster, who does a lot of growling and is super broody about Mace wanting to steal his new Jedi girlfriend or something like that. It's kind of complicated and icky. And uh, Balaba's not doing so hot, by the way. The brutality of the war and the breakneck environment in the jungle has crippled Depa's connection to the Force and is slowly killing her. Long story short, Mace calls in his flagship to evacuate both him and Depa, who was trying to deceive Windu all along. There's absolute carnage between the Koronai and the Balawai. Nick saves Windu from the killing blow by Carvaster. Depa attempts suicide. Then Mace takes control of the droid control system and ends the Civil War, imprisoning both Depa and Vaster, taking them back to Coruscant for questioning with about a hundred other plot twists along the way. Man, was this a twisty conniving book there were so many twists i was like getting whiplash and <laughs> yeah. i felt like depa balaba by the end of this thing i was like somebody just get me out of here <laughs> Whew. Oh, so freddie let me start with you uh rate shatterpoint for us first tell us your history with the book like uh how much did your opinion change in this reread yeah so this this is one of those things where i just completely slept on it i might as well have made it a pillow because it i never thought twice to even read it and and i did read a little bit of it i read about maybe a quarter of it and I just for some reason I just couldn't really get too into it uh and I think it's just it was a little slow right the action was a little slow he's trying to figure out what's going on obviously he's getting duped there's so many plot twists throughout the thing and I think I just got confused uh it's very exposition heavy in the first like 20 30 50 pages yes yes and and the thing is though the the audiobook I want to say the audiobook is what really made this thing pretty fantastic for me and it, it I always have an argument with myself of should I just read the book or should I listen to the audiobook and in this case if you haven't read this book just dive into the audiobook because it, it'll make your experience so much better the sounds of the forest the uh the music when when there's there's battles going on the intensity the the voice actor is fantastic mm. in, in man everything. is he amazing <laughs> is he amazing I want him in more Star Wars audiobooks for real he's so good yeah, so I actually would like to get him to, on the show. I would like to interview him on the show and talk to him about what it was like to make this. So uh, we'll make that happen, yeah. or we won't. We'll see. So Sullivan Jones, fantastic. Let's get him on the show if we can. <laughs> but uh, so Freddie, do two separate ratings. Okay. What, what's your rating for the book and then for the audio book? For the book, I would say it was about like a a six six point two. It was you know I'm giving it a good rating because I know the content that's in there now. Uh, but the audio book was was like a hard. Oh man, I would I would say it's it's. The quality of it's just like an eight point five. The production was fantastic. You're giving Shatterpoint a six point two overall. Yeah, I I don't know. I just it's it was hard for me to read overall. I mean, I would probably go between the two, right? As the as the average, maybe like a seven seven point 
7.3. Okay, okay. Uh, how about you, Emma? Yeah, so I had never, uh, I didn't have any history with this book before reading it for this show. Um, so I don't have anything to go off of. Um, besides just what I knew about Mace Windu from the movies and the Clone Wars. Um, honestly, I-, I agree with you, Freddie. Like, it was very dense at the beginning, very confusing. It kind of reminded me of, like, a Thrawn book, like, with all <laughs> the, um, like, uh, hierarchies and things like that, um, especially with the new Thrawn Ascendancy books. It very much reminded me of that. I wish that uh, I wish that we had a dramatis yeah. persona uh, in the beginning, you know, so we could tell the difference between the Koronai and the Balawai and um, That's a good comparison. all of that. So um, that was definitely, I think, my biggest barrier in my enjoyment of it was just the complexity of the world that Stover was building. Um, however, I did end up really enjoying it at the end. And uh, I'd say about like two thirds of the way through, I got really invested in the story, um, which is always sort of a marker for me if I'm enjoying it is if I'm really invested in it. So uh, I'm, I think I'm going to give this book overall. Uh, and by the way, um, I read it. Um, I read the book along with listening to the audiobook at the same time. That's like my favorite way oh, to cool. read books, but it's like the least cost effective thing to do. Um, so I <laughs> do it sometimes. You need to do it in like an immersion tank. That's so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. So that's how, that's how I, uh, I read it. The audiobook was amazing. I would give the audiobook. Um, you know, an eight, it was amazing. Sullivan Jones did a great job. Uh, sound effects were awesome. And then I would give the book, like the story as a whole, uh, I would give it a, a six point, six point five. It, it really wasn't, oh. it wasn't my favorite. Um, however, you know, it, it, it did have some redeeming qualities, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Oh man, y'all killed me. <laughs> All right. For me, the, the book is at least an eight. It could be an 8.5. Because of how much he committed to his world building, how how psychologically mind bending it was. Yeah. There were some points in this book where I was like, I think I need to, I think I need, to, I need a hug. I, it was brutal. Yeah. It's now, really now Jared, violent. Dark. Try to you know try to bump up our scores. Like by the way, I and all the Cosmic Force roundtables. Every uh, I've been on a Living Force roundtable. Not once have I never increased my score so you just gotta make your case yeah (laughs) sure okay um i think that stover is operating on a whole new level beyond most beyond what most star wars authors especially in legends were trying to achieve he is not just trying to tell a story about space shirtless space wizards right (laughs) he is and i'm not holding up air of the empire as an example i mean it's the best legends book um in my opinion the point is, he's not just trying to tell a sci-fi adventure. He's making some very deep points yeah. about the real world in which we live. There was a lot in this book about race, a lot of subtext about colonialism. There's a lot about uh, the ethics of war. Genocide. Um, yeah, there is... Man... There is a lot happening behind the scenes in this book. And in fact, somebody just recently on Twitter was asking um, Stover about some of the subtextual meaning. And he he actually answered and said, I'm not going to answer that because I don't want to take away your experience and your interpretation. And it wouldn't be fair for me as the author to, to, to flex my authorial intent and give you the defining interpretation That's great. for, for like that how answer. you should read the book. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, the goat, the goat. I, I'd also really like to get him on the show and just have him, you know, please just explain those things to us. But um, 
I I appreciated the fact that this book was not a Star Wars book. It was it was really it had very little to do with Star Wars. Yeah. Um, on a big on the one hand, he's just developing a world that's so complex, and it's it's just not about uh, it's not primarily about lightsabers and battle droids, right? There's so much more to it than that. I'll give the audiobook a perfect ten. Uh, it was just so incredibly spectacularly performed. There's there's a lot happening with the the production, a lot of new music that I was hearing, some musical cues, some sound effects that they've never used before. Yep. So I appreciate that they're expanding their library in that regard. Sullivan Jones's Mace Windu, his Samuel L. Jackson interpret his his impression was just spectacular. And um, I, I especially liked his Carvaster voice. It was just chilling, wasn't it? It was terrifying. Sure. It was good. It was really good. Yeah. It, the, the only thing that took me out of it, I, I know you're talking about the new music, but there was this one uh, part in the book that took me out of it a little bit, uh, it, and it reminded me of the like music from the Born Identity or something. A little too, okay. too like, uh, I, I'm not even sure how to explain it. So there was just that weird little thing. It didn't really feel like Star Wars music or, or uh, something that, you know, we would have heard in in a previous thing but it, it was new for sure and and i have to admit that 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 was probably the only thing that i see that's negative and that's really not that bad <laughs> my i i don't want it to be all john williams music all the time yeah i actually like to have a little bit of uh some other um produced music that they're putting in yeah some of that uh proprietary stuff that they keep behind lock and key um, so before we get into the character-centric questions, uh, tonight we're going to do a two-part roundtable tonight, and then again next week. Tonight is uh, all about the character. We're going to talk Mace Windu. We're going to talk Adepa Balaba. We're going to talk about Carbaster, and of course, everybody's favorite sidekick, uh, Cora and I, Nick Rocks, Rostu. We're going to talk about uh, these primary characters. Tonight, next week, we'll go into some of the overarching questions, such as, what is the Shatterpoint? I appreciate our producer, Emma, for holding us accountable. By the way, hey, can we get a round of applause for Emma? First of all, filling in to uh, produce for us this month. And, and also, yeah, quietly, Freddie, don't you blow out those levels. <laughs> i got to edit this thing. Um, on the other hand, uh, some great thoughtful answers. Doing a great job, doing a great job. Emma, in case uh, anybody hasn't told her yet, pretty good at this podcasting thing. Thank but you. Uh, she did hold me accountable here by saying that I did not rate the book. I only rated the audio book. The book, I said it was at least an eight. Uh, I, I might give it an 8.5. Okay. Um, it was just violent. It was just br- brutal. Yeah. So I, the, there were some times where I was like, uh, somebody give me one of those airplane puke bags. <laughs> um, stat. I did read part of it on an airplane, by the way. All right. So first and foremost, Freddie, I want to ask, uh, this gives us Mace's Legends backstory, which is fun. I totally forgot about that part. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, Mace's a Coronai. This is his home planet. Did you buy this as Mace's origin story? I don't know if we even have one in canon. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you, you really get to see who Mace is, where he came from, and how the Jedi deal with, with you know, meeting up with their people again, right? They just, they're like, nah, sorry, I'm not the same as you. I'm a Jedi. I, I'm, I'm different. I grew up different. Uh, we may be the same thing, but uh, we're not the same thing. It's really interesting how he handle, handles it, and... And the whole time, you know, they were trying to, there was a battle between them saying, hey, Mace, you're one of us, and him saying, no, I'm a Jedi. So mm-hmm. it's curious. Yeah. And then, of course, just seeing the kind of people they are and, and where they came from and and their characteristics, you can kind of see why Mace is what he is and why he is, why he believes the things that he believes in. And we also get our first view of the lesson of attachment from Yoda, 
with the uh I'm not sure if it's like oh, a rattler right. or something. Yeah, yeah, he took he took Mace's rattle <laughs> and and broke it. Yep. <laughs> and he was like, "A rattle you do not need." <laughs> yeah, you know, so um, Yoda he's basically do. like learn your lesson. <laughs> That's right. I was like, "Brutal Yoda, brutal." Um what about you, Emma? You're you're more into the canon world than Freddy or I um, did you buy this as Mace's origin story? I did, and I don't know if this is just because of my more canon lens, but I, I did find it interesting that uh, the Jedi Order let Mace go back to Harun Kal even before this yeah. to sort of train in Vapod uh, or honing some sort of a force power, um, something ab- about him going back to train. Um yeah, I'm not sure that was ever clear. Yeah, he he definitely went back for something, but I was surprised about that because in I would say more in canon, like uh, that sort of attachment is like forbidden, and and that they they try to distance you as much as you can from your past and from your family. And here Mace is like he knows some of his quote unquote tribe i guess you could say uh, and he still interacts with them a, a, like a little bit and um i found it very interesting how he still uses some of his experiences from the jungle and some of those like survival techniques in how he sees battles and, and war as more of like a survival game than uh than an actual battle to win that's a good point yeah i i i liked that it showed um that he was the the prized gem of his people, mm. like they believed in him and sent him off to the Jedi, um, as as like he came from a force sensitive species, right? His his people um, are all inherently force sensitive. What do they call it in this book? Not the Force. Oh. Do you remember, Freddie? Um, Pelicotan. Pelicotan. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, yeah. Can you spell that for us, Emma? <laughs> Just kidding. I was gonna say no um, way. <laughs> I listened to so much on the audiobook that writing the show notes for this, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to put some glitters <laughs> together and hope that I know what I mean. Um, spoiler alert, I spelled it all wrong. I ended up double checking every single thing that I could spell wrong, I did. Even Mace Windu. You wouldn't think that's so hard to spell. No, just kidding. Um, what I what I appreciated was like, Mace is one of the best Jedi. I mean, he's got this privileged position on the Jedi Council, seems to be second only to Yoda in the prequels. And uh, the idea that he could come from a planet that is kind of a backwater world, right? Um, in fact, the it's so incredibly. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, Freddie? Like they're they're natives. They're they're not civilized. And yeah. there's a lot in this book about the nature of civilization. Uh, it's it's really kind of mind bending. It is. <laughs> to, it's a deep to consider. Book. It's a deep. It book. is. We could probably spend hours just tearing apart like the the lessons and the. Uh, the philosophy of this book it's crazy yeah um in this the, it, it's the idea is that mace comes from this backwater planet but is clearly being lifted up into the limelight as uh, somebody who has the potential to be one of the best jedi and the cool thing there is you go and get to meet some other windows like you go and meet other people who have similar force abilities to mace but we're not trained by the jedi yeah. And so you get to see just what the flip side of that coin, that kind of twisted reflection in the mirror might look like, as we will get eventually, of course, in both Carvaster, and then on the flip side in um, Nick Rostu as well, uh, who go both very different directions. But before we get there, one of my favorite points about Mace in this book are his one-liners. <laughs> <He's> so good. 
weren't these amazing, yeah, Freddie? Yeah, they're so good. They're, they're, I feel like you could find a one-liner in at least every chapter. I meant to write more down, and then maybe for next week, we'll vote on his best ones. Or maybe I'll give you... All right, here's what I'll do. I'll give you one-liners that are from Mace, and then others that are like from stand-up comedians. And you'll just have to figure out which ones were actually from Mace. Uh, we could do like uh, Samuel L. Jackson lines from other movies. Oh, Snakes yeah. on a plane. <laughs> yes. Somebody get these friggin' droids off of my jungle. Yeah. Um, that just that wasn't great. All right, edit that out, Freddie. Here's a couple that were in the book, though. Are you ready for this? Your chances come in two shapes, slim and fat. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that one. I think I was running when I listened to that, and I just stopped. Bookmarked it in my phone. Wrote it down. Told my phone, remind me when I get home to put that in the show notes. It was so great. And the other one, Freddie, that I really liked was, there's one thing you forgot. An ambulance. So good. <laughs> because, first of all, are there even ambulances in Star Wars? That. Like, how does that make sense? <laughs> and there's yep. no roads on Haroon Call. So good. It worked. No, yeah, it worked. It was great. It was a good one-liner. It's so good. I imagine Stover's editors being like, are you sure you want to keep this one? And then his response, yes, I do. <laughs> I want them all. <laughs> yeah. What are your chances of me taking this one out of the book? Slim and fat. <laughs> all right. Um, I, I do want to ask, though, with Stover's Windu, um, do you think that Stover's version of Mace Windu is, is closer to the kind of um, overpowered superheroic Tartakovsky Windu? Or is he just Samuel L. Jackson in Vietnam? <laughs> oh, man. It it really did feel like Vietnam in this book. It was so, so dreadful. And, and the, I mean, the jungle seemed unrelenting. There was... It's, it's hard. It's a dark place. And you can see why Depa fell into the darkness, right? And, and we'll, we'll probably get into a lot of that stuff later, but... I would say that Stover definitely took a bit of uh, Tartakovsky. I'm always going to mess this up. You might as well just say it for me. Tartakovsky. Yeah, the Cartoon Network Clone Wars. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tartakovsky yeah. Windu, but it, it it it's there's a different flair to it that just seems like he isn't really that. He is powerful, but he isn't uh, powerful enough, and he recognizes that. Yeah, I actually love the the introduction of the book where he says, uh, he talks about failure. And, you know, you learn in this book that this is not an infallible Jedi. We are going to go into the darkness with one of the greatest Jedi ever, and we're going to see how he was fallible. And uh, the very first action sequence in the book, he gets his bucket. And so you learn, like, okay, this is going to be the way this book goes. He's going to have some close encounters, and it's not always going to work out well. And... And honestly, th- reading the introduction, even my second time through on this book, which this was my reread, I could not remember what happened to Depa Balaba in Legends. I was like, what is going on with her? This is crazy. <laughs> and even all the way through the book, anytime she showed up, I was like, what is her deal? I could not pinpoint what was going on with her for the life of me. Um, and so so through this, I, I appreciated that that Mace was not... Uh, just kicking everybody's butt, right? Mm-hmm. All the way through this, he gets beat by Carbaster at one point, soundly. And even in the post-battle analysis with Nick and Depa, you know, he's he's he turns to Depa and he's like, uh, tell him, did I throw that fight or did I lose yeah. legitimately? And Depa's like, yeah, he legitimately lost. Yeah. Uh, uh, Car relented because they're like, they're 
what do you call them? Uh, they were brothers uh, of some sort. Gosh. Uh, gosh. Gosh or yeah. Gosh. Gosh Windu. Yeah. Goshalo, there it is. Yeah. yeah, like clan brother, sure. And Mace all the way through the book is like, I'm not your friggin' brother. And so <laughs> it's, it was just the great dynamic they had. Um, so I, I actually really thought that this was this was less of a Star Wars book and more of a Vietnam War book yeah. at times. And and it was almost like you could just make a Mace Windu fighting in Vietnam movie, and it would just it, you could basically just as long as you got some elephants to play your your grassers. <laughs> You know, I think you're pretty pretty well set with this, for the most part. There's some very Star Warsy things. The whole concept of his uh, the lightsaber in his mind, that was kind of trippy, wasn't oh, it, Freddie? Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. That was pretty interesting. Uh, the the idea there was that like there's a physical lightsaber, but he had spent so much time designing it that he could control it through the forest from wherever it was in the galaxy because it was like a connection, like a built-in connection between him and that device. He had Bluetooth. sure yeah always paired 24 7 i love that i love that we talked about maze i do want to move on to depa in this book though obviously in canon she has had a a wild depiction especially in comparison to what has happened in legends she has just recently been featured once again in the bad batch in episode what episode one is that right emma yeah episode one uh Fill in her, putting you on the spot here, Emma, as our canon expert. What is Depa's canon demise? Yes, so um, it depends. And yeah, yeah. It, it depends. So I'm <laughs> going to tell you what it is uh, in television and what it is in the comics. So in television, uh, in the Bad Batch, um, we see uh, they're on the planet uh, Collar. And. Uh, and Depa and uh, Kanan Jarrus, I lost the name for a second, her Padawan at the time, they were doing a mission and then Order 66 hit. She tried to hold back the clone troopers and told uh, Caleb, his, his name was Caleb at the time, Caleb Doom, uh, told him to get yeah. away uh, while she held the clone troopers back and she got shot. Um, in the comics, it, was, it happened very similarly, except they were... Um, they were at a campfire at night taking their uh their rest from their mission and then order 66 happened caleb felt like something was about to happen and then all of a sudden depo was shot and they that wasn't during a battle so you kind of have two separate renditions but essentially uh depa died in order 66 uh not uh you know she didn't have this encounter with the dark side uh that we know of yeah, good job. Hey, everybody yeah. give him a round of applause. Put her on the spot there. That wasn't in the notes. Um, the fact of the matter is, I appreciate that there's ambiguity in both canon and legends with what happens to Depa. Um, it, it's a little unclear. That's one of the fun things that they've maintained with the character is it's hard to know exactly what happened to her. Yeah. And even in the um, the canon comic, legend has it. No, I haven't reread it since uh, it first came out in, what, 2015? Yep. Um, there is, from what I remember, a uh, an Easter egg to Shatterpoint where they say something. Whenever Depa, whatever happened to her on that planet, hmm. um, there's some kind of an Easter egg referencing very vaguely that something mysterious happened to her along the way. And so, we need to dig up that Easter egg so you can throw it. If somebody finds it, put it in the Legends Look Back Discord channel. Um, would love to see exactly what that quote is. I know I'm 
I'm close. That sounds interesting. I've got to <laughs> go back close. and read that. Sure. Yeah. And um, th- the idea here is that it's hard to know exactly what happened to her. Both after, of course, she is um, kind of captured and taken to be tried for her crimes on Coruscant. At, at the end of this, I think that the legend has it, according to mine and Freddie's favorite uh, guide here oh, by yes. Pablo Hidalgo, the essential reader, essential, oh my essential reader <laughs> companion. <laughs> it's been a long week, man. Essential reader's companion. Pablo says that they left it open-ended so that if George wanted to put her in episode three, he could. And so that makes That's sense, fair, obviously, yeah. this being written prior to episode three. Uh, she was on the council in episode one, but was not in episode two, or is it the other way around? Mm, I feel <sighs> like... She- Ooh, that's a good question. We'll find out for next yeah. week. This is why we have two-part roundtables. Anything we mess up, we can fix next week. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to show this off, though. A really cool uh, full-page art spread. Oh, that's cool. Let me... In the Essential Reader's Companion for um, what is happening with Nick and, I think, Mace and maybe... What's his oh. buddy's name? There's, like, a little crew of them. Oh, yep. Her name is... Um, Emma has remembered so many random questions that I've asked in this I know, it's episode. It's on the tip of my tongue. Oh my gosh! Uh, the one that uh, Nick loves. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, I had it pulled up earlier. Let me know if you find okay. it. Um, anyway, that's who is depicted there. She's got all these. Deppa has all these different depictions across both canon and legends. Reference in canon, the last Padawan. But here's my big question for you, Freddie. The book opens with. Uh, like a hologram that Depa leaves behind calling Mace not to come. But it's one of those things where it's like, don't come. I dare you not to come. You know, uh, the darkness has taken me. This is what happens when a Jedi is finally sane. <laughs> and that's what, obviously, yeah. he, Mace needs to go and retrieve her because it looks like she's lost her way, like she's gone rogue. Um, in the missionary world, uh, I took a lot of missionary courses in college, um, there's this idea that a missionary can go to another country, learn another culture, and then go native is the term. It's probably not PC anymore. I was, you know, 10 years ago. But the idea is that you can just want to try to give up on your home culture, reject who you used to be, and become the people that you have come to work alongside. But you lose your distinctiveness and just go full tunnel vision, lose sight of who you really are, which seems to be what's happened to Deppa here. What's your interpretation, Freddie? And I like that it's left a little bit open to interpretation. Um, what exactly happened to Deppa in this book? Yeah, that's that's a good one. By the way, I think I think you're, the the character's name we were looking for is Chalk. I was just about to say that. There yeah, I yeah. figured it out. Yeah, because <laughs> there were two characters whose name rhymed, right? <laughs> Chalk Besh and, and Lesh. What Sock? Besh there and it Lesh. is. Yeah, yeah, Besh, yeah. Besh, Chalk and Sock. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened to Deppa? You know, you know what I think happened to Deppa when when we talk about war. And when we study war, right, we always say war is hell. And there's a reason why they say war is hell, because you see heinous things and people are doing heinous things to each other. And I think what happened is there was just too much darkness surrounding her, surrounding this war. And I'm looking, I'm kind of looking towards towards, uh, Palpatine in this. Like, why else? I feel like he must have had a hand in this or he recognized it. Maybe he's trying to exploit weaknesses and trying to find weaknesses of the Jedi. So he's like, okay, well, let's just see what, what a Jedi does in war, right? Because clearly they, they mm. are about peace, but eventually, you know, he's going to put them in a war. So let's see what it looks like. And it, it just corrupts them and they get lost. And, and you know, as we saw in um, 
I'm forgetting the name of the book with uh, with uh, Obi Wan and um, uh, he, he, oh yeah, Wild Space. Wild Space. Yeah, you see how 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 corrupt and how I guess how much it hurts to be surrounded by dark. And I think that's just what happens to her. She just loses her who loses her sanity, and then with that, her will to live. Well, yeah, I I think that I've got a similar take, and there is a thread actually that to your point, Freddie, early in the book, Mace and Yoda reflect on the fact that the Force has been clouded. Right, our around the time of the Phantom Menace, they say, you know, ten years prior to this that they their ability to touch the force had been darkened something a dark force had eclipsed the force but they're trying to keep that a secret yeah and uh, at the end of the book palpatine if i remember correctly palpatine hears some of that and learns like oh y'all have uh, something's wrong with the force tell me a little bit more about that no big deal but like please you know i'm kind of excited by that but like no big deal you know it's cool um and, and so this book is kind of like a microcosm. Depa seems to be a microcosm of what is happening to the Jedi at large. And Har- Harun Kal then is a microcosm for the the Clone Wars in general, for the worst of the Clone Wars, just how bad it can really get, where the good guys become villainous, the bad guys are not entirely evil, um, and you've got to do, even the good good guys have to do some heinous things along the way, um, is that about the point you're trying to make, Freddie? Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely it. I mean, it's it's they're they're getting put into a situation which they almost don't have a choice, and they they have to take some sort of side eventually, and you know that side is is still going to do some heinous things. And as we see in this book, you know they they almost don't whether you're captured and you're made you may be <laughs> children. It doesn't matter actually when you think about it. Children, women. It doesn't matter. They they get sent into the jungle to try to survive, right? Jungle justice. And it's just hard to yeah. see. So you can imagine. I think that, obviously, the Force itself, a Jedi's connection to the Force comes from their perception of life around you. And if you're on a planet that is a jungle planet, that is, it's like you are... Uh, a sensory overload with the force, yeah. right? There's so much life from they, they they talk about the bugs that are biting them, and it gets to the point where like you don't even swat them anymore. You just deal with the bites and the itchiness, and the itchiness becomes the norm. And you can't sleep. Uh, it's so noisy, and there's so many bugs, and there's so many creatures that could kill you and eat yeah. you that uh, he's just sleepless and tired. I was listening to part of this while running, and he's talking about how tired he is, and I just like. Realized I was running slower and slower <laughs> until I realized, like, oh, like, no, I'm just running. It's okay. I got this. <laughs> uh, so if a Jedi's ability to touch the Force comes from their perception of life around them, if that life then is hostile, if even the good guys are committing moral atrocities, then that should weaken or damage or even overstimulate, overstimulate a Jedi's connection to the Force. So that was my assessment of what exactly had happened to Depa. She had taken moral shortcuts in, in service to what she perceived was the greater good or felt like maybe the war was hopeless and was there was no way to win. And that was also kind of a, a defeating her, for yeah. her. Um, don't forget. She lost the will to keep fighting. Don't forget about Vapod. She also has Vapod, right? Yeah, which which they the only other Jedi. Yeah, the only other Jedi, the only other master, I believe, and and Vapod is basically delving into the dark side. And just imagine how many times she had to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy when you think about it. Like, in all of 
Harun call like the wildlife is trying to kill you the good guys are trying to kill you the bad guys are trying to kill you like it is no surprise that Depa kind of went crazy in the in the darkness um and sort of wasn't able to stave it off I I bet I bet like if Mace stayed there for another month he would he would be kind of the same too you know I think it's just a matter of like the circumstances around you like what Jared said you know if you're going to be surrounded by darkness some t- at some point it's going to seep into you too yeah and I, I do wonder if mace would there were times where he was certainly depressed mm. or or um defeated yeah. there were times where where he was feeling the fatigue of the jungle but he does seem more grounded than depa which was one of the big problems in the book and and i did have some dilemmas with with like was this a good depiction for a jedi master who was on the council to get so lost to the darkness not necessarily the dark side but definitely the darkness of war and the jungle um it's a little bit ambiguous uh so i'm not sure if mace goes that far he seems to be more grounded but but you could feel the jungle creeping in closing right. in on him and i mean you could argue that like the circumstances that brought him to Harun Call, hearing uh, Depa's voice, and then, you know, sort of saying that he's the one that has to get Depa, and that he's the only one, that's kind of dark in and of itself. That's that's kind of like a like a Sithly trait. Um, yeah, sure. You know, being you know <laughs> you know ultra connected to this one person that you hear their voice across the galaxy, and that you're the only one that can save them. Um, that reminds me of a certain someone. <laughs> Yeah, Max Rebo. (laughs) Okay. Well, speaking of certain someones, there's one character whose name has dropped a time or two in this book in some really interesting ways, though is not an active character. At least I'm going to spend a minute on this. One of the things that uh, Mace can do with his Shatterpoint power, which is fairly unique to him, is he can detect these uh, fissure lines, uh, the, the, the breaking point in a battle or a person or an event. Uh, in combat, he can find the one weakness that he can exploit in order to win the battle. But he does say on a on a galactic scale, Dooku, Count Dooku, is the Shatterpoint of the Clone Wars. A Jedi who believes in trying to break the Republic due to its corruption. Uh, a Jedi who has turned to the dark side and, and mentions that you know if they could take out Dooku, they, they would win the Clone Wars. He is the Shatterpoint. And I don't know that I agree, but Mace is... There's an unreliable narrator in this because we're getting it from Mace's perspective. Freddie, do you think Dooku is the shatter point of the Clone Wars? I don't think so. Uh, I I think he is in a sense, but I I feel like he is not the main fissure in the fracture. If that makes if that <laughs> if that makes any sense yeah. at all. I, well, they they they're fairly ignorant to Palpatine. Exactly, and I think that's where where you know if if. It, it, and that's the hard part is is was was mace able to see a shatter point on palpatine but think of it in a different way as oh this is the, this is the guy who rules the entire galaxy that's why he's got a shatter point but not because he's the one with all the machinations going on that it'd be curious to to see how that develops at all but uh, i think you know there there is some level of superiority and and dooku does flex a lot of commanding ability of the separatist uh you know armies but i don't i don't know if it's i I feel like if he died palpatine would had a backup of some sort right i mean i feel like he would have figured something out i don't think he would have been the main shatter point 
Yeah, I mean, Palpatine always has a plan. If if we've learned anything <laughs> from Star Wars, yeah. he always has a backup plan. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, if we're looking at a shatter point, like there's a main shatter point and, and branches, I could see Dooku having a branch. I could see Grievous having a branch, maybe even like Wat Tambor. Um, you know, someone with the with the banking clan to oh, fund it on. all. Yeah, you know, he doesn't. Yeah, no, he's, you don't think? <laughs> I think if you take the whole banking clan down, I have some problems. But you know, that's a conversation for another time, I guess. But um, you know, I I think I think he was correct in seeing Dooku as a shatter point. Was he the shatter point of the Clone Wars? I highly doubt it. I, mean, I think it's Anakin, right? I mean, yeah, he did say is that there at any the way end. Around that? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Okay, well, he agrees with me. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought that that was really cool that it was not just about individual battles, but we're thinking about even there can be a shatter point on a galactic scale. And I also appreciated that it showed that Mace wasn't always right. He would make these mm. blanket statements like, this is how it is. And I, as the reader, I'm like, oh, he hasn't seen Revenge of the Sith <laughs> yet. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Well, there's one other character who uh, gets quite a bit of attention in the book, um, of course, appears once again in um, the Coruscant Knights series, and that is Nick Rostu. He comes into the book as a cynical but comical leader of this ragtag group of Coronai who have come in to rescue Mace, retrieve him, bring him back to Carr and Depa. Eventually in the book, Mace is able to persuade him after saying, like, I got a feeling we're not going to get along. I'm not going to like you very much. They do come to like each other. Mace recruits him to become his, what, uh, a, major. Uh, a captain in the army, a major in the army of the Republic. And they have a little swearing in ceremony and everything. And it's, it's kind of endearing and cute. But um, it, it makes you wonder, what if Nick had been rescued by Mace to come along and train as a Jedi? rather than being so dogmatic about him being too old to become a Jedi. Uh, was was Nick Jedi potential? We'll start with you, Emma. Was he Jedi potential, or was he just comic relief? So uh, there were definitely moments in this book where I really felt like he had a very deep connection to the Force. Maybe something that stemmed from necessity, you know, needing to sort of sense your surroundings in the jungle, uh, needing to use the Force to... Uh, fight against you know people trying to kill you i think he definitely had a strong connection to the force i don't know i I feel like he wouldn't take jedi training very seriously because like you said he definitely played a part of like comic relief in the book um i do feel like i feel like maybe if you take him out of haroon call and then see you know, how he sort of behaves in an environment that isn't so dangerous all the time, you know, maybe he'd, he'd become a good Jedi. But I think how we saw him in the book, I don't think I could say that he would be Jedi material. Yeah. What about you, Freddie? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. He, he, I think if he was a Jedi, uh, I don't know how many people dislike this word. Personally, I feel like it, you know, Jedi doesn't mean you're, you're dark or light. It, you can be uh, should I say the word gray Jedi? Yes, <laughs> say it, Freddy. Yes. <laughs> I just feel like he is just like uh, I can't remember his name at the moment from Clone Wars, but he is a he's a a gray Quinlan Voss. Quinlan Voss, exactly. Mm-hmm. Who 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 can kind of maneuver the the line a little bit, right? He knows when he's got to do one thing, uh, and he he's not going to let it stop him. And obviously, he gets a little too far into it at one point. But I feel like 
I feel like Nick is a, is the same. I don't know if he could, and maybe that's just because of how he grew up, right? He, and that's why Jedi are taken away from their surrounding environment so that they can be incubated into this this lifestyle. Um, but Nick really saw things how they kind of were, right? And he's like, "That's just how it is, man." You know, and you heard that a lot from from Nick. Well, right. he's, he's a realist. He's a realist who has used humor to mask his real emotions. Yeah. He's used humor to survive in the jungle, and but secretly was like in love with uh, one of his squadron mates and is devastated in the end when uh, she bites it. Does she bite it or does she just get wounded? Yeah, she bit it. Yeah, F's in the chat for chalk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but, uh, of course... It does have a story continued in Coruscant Nights, book one. I forget the name. Streets of Shadows or Patterns of the Force. There's, they've got these complicated names. Uh, but the first book has Nick Rostu in it and uh, really continues his arc for what happens when Mace Windu's dead and like his only friend on Coruscant is gone. And um, what is he going to do when the war is brought to Coruscant? And so really appreciate it from that perspective. So you gotta got to read that if you want uh, the, the pseudo-sequel to Shatterpoint. Now... Let's talk about one last character before we wind down tonight, and that is the kind of the villain. Is he the villain? It's hard to tell exactly. Uh, I wonder, does the book need Carvaster? One of the points along this book was that I felt it got a bit complicated. You've already got separatists on the one side, and uh, Getsis get gets that's a Pokemon uh, guy. Getson. 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 Yeah, that's it. <laughs> one of those names. Getsis is a villain in Pokemon. My bad. My bad. <laughs> Wrong franchise. Um, but I, I wonder, did the book need Carr? There were points where I was like, there's too much going on here. Um, would it have been better without a big bad Darksider? That's a tough mm. one. Yeah, I honestly, he kind of made things a little confusing to me because, you know, towards the end of the book, we we kind of see Mace working with him a little bit and then all of a sudden they'll like turn on each other and then they'll like be a little bit friendly and then they'll turn on each other and it's it was very confusing right. and then it was like well are they related are they not um why does he have a creepy voice um you know is it because he is so deep into the dark side that you know because they said that if he's not talking directly to you then you can't hear what he's saying i found that well, very I think interesting explained that one did I they? think they explained that he had been wounded. Uh, he that the separatists had taken his vocal cords. Oh, Is that gosh. right, Freddie? Must have yeah. Was it they? They honestly, I can't even remember exactly what it said, but I feel like they took away his vocal cords, so he had to use kind of like that force amplification deal. Ah, interesting. Um, yeah, I think he. I think he had been um, interrogated and tortured. Yeah. Okay. But okay. but continue. I th- you're making a good point. Yeah, though. yeah. I, I must have missed that part. So, you know, I, I just found his connection to like Haroon call the planet to be very interesting. And I feel like, I feel like he was necessary in the book because it sort of gave Mace Windy like a purpose, like a thing to sort of fight back against, I guess, because there's so many people that he could fight against on Haroon call, like so many enemies. Um, and I feel like it might've given the book a little bit more focus than it, would have had otherwise i i think that he was one of the best villains in all of legends oh, interesting uh i i thought he was so incredibly if he could scare me every time he came on the page i was like legitimately quivering <laughs> <laughs> he was so frightening 
Um, part of it was he kept me on my toes. Stover could not make it clear if he was going to join with Windu or was going to try to kill him. Mm. And so that ambiguity, I think, is part of what kept me off balance. I think he showed what uh, Mace Windu would look like if he was on the dark side. And so mm. it's like the, the evil analog if Mace had not been taken from the planet and uh, taken to the Jedi. But on the other hand, I think that the book's meta-narrative about uh, civilization and colonialism and genocide and war was the better selling point in the book than just another light side, dark side, uh, you know, a duel in, in Star Wars. So, so I thought in some ways it should have just committed all the way to that rather than... But on the other hand, Carr was just an excellent character. Uh, what about you, Fred? You want to weigh in on this one? Yeah, I, I, I tried to take car out of the picture to see how how the story reads in that sense like what if it was master depa balaba that was in car's position right how how different would the story be and i think the fact that car was his own character and the fact that he was so powerful i don't think mass i don't think mace or i don't think master balaba would have been able to beat mace i just don't think they had he she had that that power to to oh so you needed a team up to take him you down. basically sure. needed not just a team up but someone who who could honestly beat up mace without anyone's help it because that makes the whole situation much more difficult and i feel like that's sort of why they needed some kind of buffer who 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 had the touch of the force without being a jedi so yeah interesting. that's a great point yeah freddie blowing my mind here <laughs> Um, I looked it up. Carr was 14 when his family, he saw his whole family massacred by jungle prospectors. And he escaped, doesn't talk about it, but had to survive in the jungle for more than a year. And they make it so clear in the book that uh, without weapons, grassers, act dogs, people or food to have your back, no supplies, to be abandoned naked in the jungle was a death sentence. Mm -hmm. And so it showed just how strong, how powerful he was, but also, like, it changed him. Like, it made him so hardened. And so that's how he received this injury as well, which is, it's, it's ambi- ambiguous. Yeah. Everything in the book is ambiguous. Yeah. And so uh, at that at some points, that can be a lot to take yeah. in. At some points, I felt fatigue from reading it. At other points, I was like, man, this is just so incredibly well-written and masterfully told. I, I'm making a case here that's that Carr... Is the and I want you guys to critique my uh, hot take. All right, I think Carr is the scariest villain to only appear in one Legends book. Ooh. He is a a single a, a villain in a single novel. Does not appear in a trilogy. Does not appear in a nine book series. He's not in a film. He's not in a comic. For somebody to make one appearance and only one appearance, I think he is the best villain in all of Legends. Prove me wrong. I don't think I'm going to prove you wrong. I feel like the second you said it, I could feel it. I I can see him. I mean, every time he was on the page, you're right. It was just like, oh, like he, he's clearly super powerful. I don't know how Mace is going to deal with this thing. Like he, he can't He can't beat him. And it's not like he's going to... You know, he tried to play the big dog, little dog thing, and it 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 was just. I don't know if there's anybody that's as intense as Carr, and he he almost seems like a, I would love to see what it would be like to have Carr versus 
um, Darth Maul in a fight. Like I'd I'd love to see how that how that turns oh, out. Man. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, for sure, I would like that. Yeah, okay, I can't stop grinning. That's awesome. Uh, you want to chime in on this one, Emma? You can take it to canon if you have to. Any any character in a Star Wars book or comic that like has one appearance that uh, could be a contender for a scarier single story villain? Yeah, I mean even. Even in canon, I'm not thinking of anything off the top of my head right now that scared me as much as Carr did that only appears in one book or comic. So I don't think I'm going to argue against you. I I think something that makes him really scary is his um, just the mystery surrounding like why like why he's the villain. And also it's mysterious as to why he's so scary to me, which kind of sounds weird, but I think it makes sense. Like like we're supposed to fear him. But, like, why? Uh, is it because he's been in the jungle for so long and he's kind of gone dark? Is it because um, he kind of is a bit manipulative to other people yeah, for, for, his, sure. for his uh, his sort of goals? Um, and, and I think it's just that, like, shroud of mystery that honestly makes him scary. So, uh, no, right now I cannot prove you wrong. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I take the title. I'll, I'll wear the belt next episode. You won't see it because it's a Zoom call. But um, I, I do think, however, that there are a few, um, a few other characters that could be contenders. I'm thinking about uh, in canon. There's Lord Momen from the Vader comic. Um, it's only in that one story that that Charles Charles Sewell's. But I don't think that's a scary character no, I don't as either. much as an interesting one. Kind of an interesting one. Um, there's the the Knights of the Old Republic. Hazen is a very scary villain for me. Uh, Freddie, you'll have to read all fourteen hundred pages of that bad boy <laughs> to remember who Hazen is. Um, I was trying to think. I had one more. Oh, oh, Xanatos is in a couple of the the Jedi Apprentice books. You got Qui Gon's apprentice who turned to the dark side, mm-hmm. who has it out for Obi Wan. You remember him? Yeah. Um, Xanatos, but I, I find Xanatos to just be more like dark and broody. Yeah, <laughs> woe is me than he is scary. Yeah, there's something there's something just so animalistic of Car, mm. right? Like he, that's a good he word. just that's he's just so and and I'm not sure if this is the right word, but it, it honestly just feels like the right word. He's just so primal, and yeah. and that's what's the the scariest part of him. You just really can't predict what he's gonna do. Yeah, I mean, he was trying to bite Mace's carotid artery out of his body. Like, oh my goodness gracious. (laughs) We didn't even mention that he's got these, uh, what, vibro shields that he spins. Yeah. uh, He's kind of like part Captain America, you know. (laughs) Who is it? uh, Oh, Freddie, you remember that, uh, the Power Rangers movie from like 1990, what, six, seven, eight? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. The one that's got uh, the putties, <laughs> the, the Tango Warriors, like the okay, they go to that planet, and there's that woman who gives them their powers, and she spins that staff, and it makes that woo 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 noise that scares off the birds. This is super deep cut. <laughs> anyway, his shields reminded me okay, of that. Okay, I see where you're going. The fact that he could spin these, and they would make this sound that could scare opponents. I was yeah, it made me think of Power Rangers. Believe it or not, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm always thinking about Power Rangers. No, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Next week, we are going to get into the overarching questions. There's a lot more to talk about with Shatterpoint, of course, uh, for a book that has some of the biggest 
metaphysical questions about life and reality and war. We got a lot more to talk about with this book. We're going to talk about what exactly is the Shatterpoint of the book, Shatterpoint. We're going to talk about how many times the word naked appears between <laughs> pages 40 and 50. We're going to um, talk about how this ranks among our very favorite Legends books of all time. We're going to talk about uh, the points that he's trying to make about colonialism and uh, what exactly is the peaceful savage, and uh, not to mention Mace's vision of Coruscant covered in jungle. What? We're going to get into all that next week. In the meantime, if you'd like some further reading, you want to check out more of what's happening over on utini.com, I would want to point you to our collections page where you could check out our military and warfare collection which I'm not even sure if Shatterpoint is on there, but like maybe it is, and if it's not, uh, there would be some other things. If you're wanting that deep, um, go all out into the war side of Star Wars, uh, we've got a guide all about that. Also, we've got a Mace Windu collection for all of his best appearances as well. So tune in again next week, next Thursday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, if you're over there in Southern California with Freddy, but in the meantime, that does it for this th this week. Thanks for joining us on Legends Look Back. Thanks, of, of course, to our incredible patrons for their support. We love making the show and are glad that you are along for the ride. Special thank you to Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council, Elizabeth Cludie, Jason Mitchell, Sally and Chris Ireson, and your boy Freddie C on our Alliance High Command for their amazing support. One of these days I'll take out the words, your boy, there. That was a joke <laughs> one time, and I've left it in, and... You watch PTI, Freddie? No, I do not. That's what they that's that's what they always say. Is like your boy. It's like, listen, I played golf with him one time. <laughs> you know, yeah. Anyway, one of these days we'll play golf together, Freddie. Sounds good, buddy. Not that. Maybe you just like, you know, like go to a Star Wars bookstore. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> but uh, the the joke is, does Freddie exist? Because I've never <laughs> met him in real life. <laughs> I am Watt Tambor. I'm just uh, a robot. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. If you would like your thoughts right on the show, you can email us at legendslookback at utini.com. You can send us a message in the Legends Look Back Discord channel. You can leave a comment on this episode on YouTube, or you can find us on Twitter at Legends Look Back, or personally, I'm at Jerry Q. Mays, Freddie. At Wake Up Freddie. Emma. At Irma Jedi 26. And Watt Tambor. <laughs> no, no he's, he's not. Okay. If you're looking to buy some of these books, such as Shatterpoint, hey, you can get that 2003 copy. You can get the 2021 copy. You can go on over to utini.com, click the Amazon link in the profile, and you can pick up your own copy. While you're there, you can even leave us a review and let us know what you think. And as you do, remember, keep the Utini fan code and be a force for positivity in the fandom. Until next week, may the force be with you. This is a Utini Broadcast.